you believe change is needed within the education system to ensure the well-being of teachers and young people is at its very heart, then join the Well School movement today. We are united, the biggest stakeholders in the education system. We can wait for change or we can be the change. If not now, then when? And if not you, then who? Sign up to the Well School movement at www.well-schools.org. Our community is here to help you on your journey. All our young people need you. Join us today. Hi, and welcome to the Well Schools podcast. We're your hosts, Anthony and Kay. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone. Hi Kay. Kay, Hello. back. It's 2022. Let's not carbon date ourselves by telling everyone how old we're in the millennium. <laughs> we're hurtling through the years and we've got an exciting year coming up, I think, for Well Schools. Very exciting. This series that, that we've got lined up for our listeners is, is so exciting and we've got some amazing guests coming up over the next couple of weeks and uh, I'm so excited to hear from our special guest today, Ben Levinson, who's a head teacher at Kensington Primary um, in London. And for this series, we're going to look at almost like what a well-prepared school is. We're going to look at the almost the, the how and the what of what a well school is. Last series, and for any listeners who are, who are new to the podcast, go back and have a listen to some of the, the episodes from, from, from the last series about why well schools and, and why it's so important. But first off, jumping into this series, Kate, what, what is a well-prepared school? Well, well-prepared really has a focus on young people. So moving on from, we talked a lot about well-led, which focused a lot more on getting the teachers in the right place. Um, well-prepared focuses in on that young person. So it's our two young, two of our young people focusing pillars, well-led and well-equipped. Well-prepared is about physical and mental preparation. So we can't slow the world down for young people. We can't make it any easier, no matter how hard we try. The realities of existing in our modern society mean that there will always be challenges facing young people. And we know if we look at all the data around mental health, about physical health of our young people, that we need to take some action. So Well Prepared is all about that toolkit for young people. How can we give them the tools so that when they face the challenges that society is going to throw at them, either while they're in school, things like exam pressure, friends, or when they leave school and go out into the world, what is the toolkit they take with them? What's the toolkit that they always turn to? So how can we make sure that they know how to manage the way that they're feeling, that they have a language around their mental health and it can express the way that they are feeling and they understand what their mental health is. And they understand that it, everybody has mental health and how do we really bring that to life? And then physically prepared, how can we ensure that they are physically literate, that all young people have the building blocks in order to be active and within that physical literacy, it's not just about the physical skills, but it's also about the motivation and the understanding and knowledge of why they need to be physical and how they can use physical to keep healthy and how they can also use the physical um, in order to keep their emotions and the way that they feel and how can they use it um, supportively. So mental and physical preparation of young people. And again, that's such a such an important. I think it's such an important point going into this, into this year, but also this week because we find ourselves at the beginning of Children's Mental Health Week. Yeah, um, which is such a such a massive moment in time for schools across the country where 
we really shine a spotlight on that on that on the mental health of young people but not just in isolation of mental health we also look at physical health emotional mm-hmm. health social health and well-being and the, the theme this week is all about growing together which i think is just an, an inspiration and an awesome yeah. theme for this week and growing together it just resonates with well schools and everything we've been trying to achieve with well schools from multiple angles so let's let's look at the conversation we're about to have with ben levinson and kensington so i was lucky enough to go and spend some time in Kensington and go and visit the school. And what became really clear, having worked with Ben so closely on the concept of well schools, I saw Kensington through Ben's eyes and, and felt like he was the driving force. But going into the school, I could see that, that the concept and the living out of everything Wells, that Kensington, sorry, not well schools, I'm conflating the two there, everything that Kensington believe in isn't just Ben. It's not just his belief. I met the people that had created the curriculum design. I met the people that managed emotional regulation in the school. And it just became really clear that this was something the school were growing together. It wasn't one person's dream and everybody else was following along. They'd created a well-being at the heart of their school. And that, as we've always dreamed, is not a person's pipe dream or a really nice thing that they put on their website. It was an actual belief and they all were invested in that and were all growing that concept in every classroom, in every corridor, in every element of the school. Everybody was a believer in it and they were growing and learning together and doing the right things for their young people. And it's also the role Ben plays so amazingly for Well School. So Ben has been involved in Well School since day one. He is a member of our board um, and is the person that is always putting his name forward, always willing to go, always coming with ideas of how we're going to move this forward, how he has grown something in his own school. He's grown something in Kensington, but that's not enough for him. He's delivering an outstanding education for the young people at Kensington. But he wants that for every young person. He wants us as an education system to grow together. His belief in the concept of well schools and well-being at the heart of education is so strong that he is looking to ensure that well schools is the mechanism in which we can all grow together. We can finally make real headway into addressing the well-being challenges our young people face and the well-being challenges our teachers face so that we can live out and bring to life well schools for more young people, for every young person everywhere. And it just shows the power of what, what hopefully well schools is trying to to get across and you know that theme of growing together but also uh, learning together as well i really love that concept as well so i think on that Kay, we'll just jump straight in and we'll yeah, great. hear from ben but one one last thing Ant, would just be if you're listening to this podcast and you also believe and you want to be part of that growing together then come and join us come and be part of well schools there is a place for you in well schools and this there's a website you can sign up to the website we would love you to do that we would love more for you to put your ideas forward, for you to take action, for you to inspire other people, for you to share what it is you're doing within your school, even if what you're sharing is the challenges you face. We can help with those solutions. We've got to make well schools are coming together, are growing together. These issues we're trying to tackle are too difficult for you to do on your own. Well Schools gives you a community, a support system, a network of people that we want to grow together. If you sit there and take no action, then we don't grow together. So if nothing else from today's podcast, come and join us over at Well Schools, sign up, and then we can start a conversation with you. Then we can talk to you, and then we can really grow together. 
Our guest this week is Ben Levinson, head teacher at Kensington Primary School in East London. Ben has been at the helm of Kensington Primary for nearly 10 years, and in that time he has spearheaded a huge turnaround of the 650 pupil school. From a school that in 2014 required improvements to being assessed just two years later as outstanding, in 2020, Kensington was named Primary School of the Year for its trailblazing curriculum. Just recently, in late 2021, Kensington Primary have been reaffirmed as an outstanding school. The success of Ben's tenure after school revolves around producing young people who are prepared and equipped to make their way in the world. Ben, welcome to the Well School podcast. It is an honour to have somebody that's been so influential in the Well School movement, um, a member of our board, um, a champion of the cause, um, and a lot of what we talk about in Well Schools has come out of your brain and your experience. So I'm very excited to explore um, the podcast with you today. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely lovely to be here and uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting to you this morning. Great. So there's so much to tell and so many um, great bits of information I don't want us to miss. So we're going to get straight in. But I thought it'd be really useful to have a little bit of context of Ben Levinson. Where were you before life at Kensington? Um, what's your journey and what's your story before you arrived at the school? Uh, sure. So, uh, well, immediately before I was here, I was in Hackney. Um, so I didn't move too far from there um, but yeah I, I changed careers I, I wasn't always in teaching um, and I, I changed careers uh, oh, 12 years ago now um, I, I guess like a lot of people I, I sort of left university didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do did some you know interesting jobs got to travel quite a bit uh, which was lovely but, but didn't really feel like I was um, I, I suppose making a difference and that's really what I wanted to do. I, I feel really fortunate. I, you know, I had every advantage in life. I was, um, you know, I had, when I was growing up, I went to good schools. I had a good family. I had a good support network around me. And, you know, I felt like I really wanted to take some of that and, and make a, a positive difference in the world. And when I looked around, I thought, thought teaching, that's, uh, that's somewhere I could, uh, that's somewhere I could really see myself and, as soon as I went into a school, as soon as I sort of met some of the children, it was uh, that was it really. I was I was hooked, and mm. uh, and and twelve years later, even on a cold Monday morning in January, uh, I'm still I'm still hooked. I'm still excited. I still love coming into work every day. It's really interesting, actually, how many people we've spoken to on the podcast in teaching that didn't start off in teaching. I'm just starting to pick that up as a bit of a trend. People that have gone and worked in other sectors. I just I wonder how much of that influence of doing other things and looking at outside of education has helped shape some of your thinking within education. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's helped. I think I came to it um, maybe with a bit of a different perspective um, and maybe uh, was able to look at things from an alternate angle. Um, I, you know, I'd certainly from working in various different industries, uh, you know, one of the guiding principles at Kensington, thinking about what we do and why. Um, really came from looking at different industries and ways of working and seeing uh, that that pattern repeating of mm. people doing stuff because they've always done it mm. or because they thought they should do it 
yeah. uh, but without really thinking about why. And actually, a lot of the time, bemoaning the fact that they had to do these things. Uh, yeah. You know, this is ridiculous. What a waste of our time. Why are we doing this? It's making no difference. You know, <laughs> so it was kind yeah. of, yeah, well, well, why are you doing it? And, and, <laughs> and then coming into education and, and seeing that, you know, really prominently in, in so many different instances where it was sort of when you talk to people, when you were part of it, there was just this sort of, oh, well, yes, but we've just got to do it, haven't we? Yeah. Well, no, Basically, you don't. You, you don't. You, what you have to do is provide an outstanding education for the children at your school. You have to provide an amazing experience. You have to do your best for them. But what that looks like is going to change over time and it's going to change depending on the context. And you're the people best placed to, to know that. So if you're saying this is a waste of my time, I don't know why I'm doing it, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So I think I think all of that really helped that thinking. And I suppose um, I'm not for a second suggesting that people who go from education, do a degree in education and then go into a job in education are institutionalised. But I'm sure some are because it would be hard not to. Um, it was always my mum. My mum was a teacher um, and she was adamant that I didn't go from education to education. So, you know, go and see the real world, go and do something different, yeah. which I did. Yeah. Uh, and then I came back to education. Because <laughs> that's the other consistent thing, you, the two things there. And obviously there is some interconnectivity with that, giving you a, a different perspective. But on the podcast, we've tried to find people that we feel are in leading, inspiring schools around the subject of well-being and the most important thing that I've learned and I'm definitely taking into my own world and my own leadership because I don't think it's just an education where we do that. I think it's in every sector. Question, well, why am I doing that? Um, is it because I've always done it? Or is it because I feel it's the most effective way to make a difference? It's If I think back now to two seasons of these podcasts, it's probably been... <laughs> the biggest learning and the greatest thing that stood out that those great leaders don't just say what we're going to do. They say what we're not going to do and question why all the time. No. Yeah. And I think that, I think that what we're not going to do is so important because again, you see so many examples where it's just adding something on and adding something on, you know, and that was certainly something I, I saw uh, really keenly um, both in terms of initiatives um, and therefore the, the constant failure of initiatives because they, they weren't appropriately rolled out, they weren't embedded, but you know, that was because there just simply wasn't time to do it because it was just, here's another one. So the last one just fell off. But yeah. also in that wider context, you know, the, the curriculum, what we were doing at school, one of the things when we started developing our new curriculum was this idea that you had your curriculum and that filled five days from nine till three, 190 days a year. Um, and then there was all this other stuff mm. that was happening. And that was the good stuff. That, yeah. was, the, that was the really exciting bit. Um, but but it, 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 there was no time for it to happen. And so it just kind of got squeezed into places and other things got dropped off. It just, there, there wasn't, so, you know, we were really cognizant of the fact that as we were developing that, you know, if we were saying this is something we really want to focus on emotional health, we need more time in that. It's really important for our children. Great. So what are we not going to do? Yeah. Because there's no more time in the day. So if this is important, what's not as important? Yeah. And we're definitely going to come back to that and spend some really good time on that structure. Because I think that what you've done and I've been out and seen the school and I've seen it in action, I think it's transformative. So we're definitely going to 
explore that. But before we do, tell us a little bit more about Kensington. Where is it? Whereabouts are you based? I think your name often confused me for a long time about where you were based. Um, whereabouts is it? What type of community do you serve? What, what's um, unique and special about the young people that arrive at Kensington? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, uh, yes, we're on Kensington Avenue, uh, which is in East Ham in Newham. Uh, so the opposite side of London to Kensington. Um, but, yeah, we're, um, yeah, East London, um, you know, Newham has the one of the youngest populations in the country, has one of the most mobile populations in the country, uh, has one of the most uh, ethnically diverse populations in the country. Uh, and so all of those factors come to play at Kensington. We're a three-form entry primary school, so we have 650 children. Uh, we do have a, a mobile population. It's not as mobile as it once was three, four years ago. Uh, we had 154 uh, children joining midway through the year, um, all the way through from nursery to year six, a hugely mobile population. Um, and that settled a little bit. There's a bit more stability now for a, for a number of factors. Um, we are extremely diverse. So like many London schools, sort of 40, 50 different languages and, and uh, backgrounds, countries and uh, countries of origin that children come to. Um, I think for us, it's very much that very high level um, of, of uh, languages and diversity of languages. So uh, the vast majority, well over 95 percent of our children have uh, have, a, have an additional language yeah. um, for some of those English is predominantly their first language but they speak another language maybe with parents grandparents at home etc uh, for a lot of our children their their other language uh, you know Romanian Urdu whatever um, it might be is is their predominant language and English is very much a second language an awful lot of our children who arrive at the school uh, arrive from another country uh, often with very limited English and that's a really I think a really defining feature of the school and something that has been absolutely instrumental in, in that development over the years. Great. And, and I, I've been into the school and I also um, I remember visiting your um, language, your team, supporting young people that were coming in with no English. And I was just completely astounded at how quickly they were able to give them enough understanding to be able to go into the classroom. It was It was like two weeks, I think it was two weeks of um support and then they're able to get into the classroom and I was like wow I've been trying to learn French for however many years with no success it was um it was it was it was great to see and I stepped in and spent some time in there with them yeah really I, it's amazing and I think you know it's, it's, that's all part of that ethos you know our, our vision as you know is, is a place everyone loves to be mm. and that's so fundamental to what it is we're trying to achieve as a school um yeah but there are there are many challenges of having children that turn over those children coming yeah. in from abroad but there are many wonderful things about it as well and, and one of those wonderful things is that children are who who maybe join themselves six months a year a year and a half ago um are then there to support and welcome in children who are just starting who yeah. are a bit lost on our four staircases uh, and 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 multiple floors of the building and, and all the rest <laughs> of it and and you know i think that that's part of what creates this incredible uh, empathy and emotional intelligence and kindness um, amongst the community because of this this need to kind of constantly look after and bring in um, and, and support uh, new children, new families. Um, you know, that, that I think has, has been a massive benefit for us as, as well as a challenge. Yeah. And 
and the school has achieved so much. Um, it'd be great. I know this will be, you won't like doing this, but tell us a little bit about the recognition the school has received. Because I think often when we think about these schools that do incredibly well for well-being, we often have this image in our that it's, it's those schools, those in leafy suburbs. Perhaps if we thought about actually in Kensington, you know, with the affluent communities, they're the ones that can do this, but other schools can't do this. But you've managed to achieve something really special with the community that you've got so tell us a little bit about all of the amazing accolades that the school have picked up not that that's the purpose or the intent of why we do these things but it is pretty uh, impressive yeah thank you and it's not but but I think for us it's all about that um it's all about that school development it's all about that um ability to be reflective I think it, it, you know when I first got to the school eight years ago it's a very inward looking school and and you know I think that's that can you, you can get into that position and that can be a really dangerous position when you don't ever look outside your four walls yep. and so the the sort of the um, accreditations or awards or whatever it might be that brings a whole lot of external challenge you have to tell your story you have to see uh, what other people are understand about that what they want to ask about that all of that's a really helpful way of of supporting that school development um so yeah you know we've we've, uh, we've been um very successful over the last couple of years um we were primary school <laughs> so yeah we were, we were primary school of the year we were the, the, the teaching awards primary school of the year uh last year um and we were also the uh, tes uh, he- uh, mental health and well-being school of the year which was the the first year that award was was given um and uh we're you know we're there are various different uh, accreditations so we're uh, really proud proud of our uh, inclusion quality mark we're a flagship school for the inclusion quality mark and actually we just had the uh, re-accreditation for that a couple of weeks ago um, but again looking at those children uh, who have English as a second language as well as our children with special needs um, and disabilities um, and you know we had uh, Ofsted come um, at the beginning of December uh, we were outstanding in 2016 um, and Ofsted came uh, as part of the uh, the revisits for um, outstanding schools uh, and we were outstanding again. So, um, yeah. We're, we're, wow. Ma- massive congratulations to the school and it, it's all really well deserved as well. And that's so much hard work and effort goes in, not just and what I learned when I visited Kenston, that it isn't just you. It's a whole team. There is people, Absolutely. not you believe in something and everyone else just follows like it is. Oh a community of people with, with share a vision and they're all as passionate as you. And I think that's the bit I was shocked by it. You know, so many people that were just as passionate about the things you achieve at Kensington. We'll come back to some of those awards um, in a bit. So tell us a little bit about your ethos and vision of the leader of Kensington then. What is it that you are trying to achieve with the school? Yeah, so like I said, I mean, uh, you know, our vision is a place everyone loves to be. And those are not just the words that are written beneath the logo or, you know, above the door. You know, that is genuinely what we're trying to achieve. I think um, life's life's short, Uh, (laughs) you know, and and you've got to make the most of every minute. And I was always, uh, you know, I remember growing up always being... um, frustrated maybe not the right word sad possibly uh, you know uh, everyone who uh, as Sunday evening started to approach 
um, would get kind of quite maudlin and, and melancholy about the Monday morning coming up, who would live for their holidays, you know, yeah. who would just not be able to wait until Friday night in, or until that two weeks in the summer or whatever that might be. And just thinking that this is, you've got one life. Yeah. And, and you know, you spend a significant amount of that at work. Um, so that's really got to be something that, that you get your pleasure from. It can't be all the other bits because the other bits don't make up that much necessarily. Yeah. You know, so you've got to love the bit you do. And, and equally, if you're not loving it, you're not going to be doing a good job of it. So, no, it's not just, well, that's a nice thing, isn't it? Oh, well, wonderful. Isn't everyone happy? Isn't that great? Which, yes, absolutely it is. But just as a, a responsible leader, if yeah. if everyone is happy, if everyone loves being here, they are going to do their best job. It's the yeah. best possible way. You know, all of the things you've just talked about, all of the awards and, and everything else comes because we prioritise well-being, because that's the way that everyone does their best job. So whether you want Ofsted grades, awards, SATS results, whatever it is that you think is important, the best way of getting that is by investing in people's well-being so that they do their best job. And and the you know no different for children, parents, anybody else. The, the yeah. children have one shot at this education, and it shouldn't be something. You know, what do I want for my girls? My girls are ten and eight. You know, I want my girls on a Monday morning to be bouncing into school, excited. I want my girls after a summer holiday to be bouncing back into school, excited, loving it, coming home full of it, you know, telling me all about it. You know, yes, of course, don't get me wrong. We all love breaking up for the summer holidays yeah. and we all love going home on a Friday for the weekend. I'm not suggesting we don't, but but those two things shouldn't be in contrast to each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and equally, if children are happy and children are excited and children love being there, they are going to learn more effectively. There is reams of evidence of science and research that, that shows that fact and, and just simple common sense. Yeah. If you're stressed or anxious or, or you just don't want to be there, you're disengaged, clearly you're not going to retain that information. You're not going to learn in the same way as if you're really loving being there, as if you're excited yeah. about it, as if you're enjoying it. You know, we know that. You know, yeah. you know from being in a, a conference or a meeting or whatever, if you're if you're bored, if you don't enjoy it, you're, you're not going to take the same thing away. If you're sitting there full of, you know, energy and excitement and engagement, then you're going to remember that for, for a long time to come. So, you know, that really is the, the drive that we've had. And it's the bit that I think, you know, it's like you say, it's this idea sometimes maybe that the school improvement that, that getting the best whatever the best is for your children and your community is is not even separate from well-being it stands in opposition to it yeah. you know that that you, you you yes okay we should do well-being but it's going to be at the detriment of our school improvement yeah. you know and and it's that it's that bit of it that i think just needs you know, people need to better understand how yeah. that works because yeah. actually it's, it's the total opposite yeah. by investing in that well-being for children for for the, for the team for the parents for everybody that's the way you're going to achieve your goals at the school that's the way that you're going to really drive that school improvement that's the way you're going to make the difference yeah 
it reminds me of another podcast I was listening to the other day um, and in it they were talking about we started off with having a very clear view of that everything was about success being successful was the aim we've then started to move into success plus well-being so it's kind of a tag on to success where we actually want to be is well-being equals success that's actually where the magic happens that again what you're saying it's not they're not in opposition to each other they're completely correlated and you prove that at Kensington you can have it all almost it's not a choice that you're trying to make it's when you get it right on both ends happy teachers are going to be more inspirational in the classroom they're going to be able to pass that on happy unhappy teachers can't possibly create an environment if their own well-being is compromised an environment that nurtures however hard they try and however much their intention is can't create that environment for young people so happy healthy young people also learn better it's it's definitely the heart of what well schools is all about so and, and all the other benefits of that so you know we we have uh, very stable staff we've retained our staff over a number of years well that that's hugely beneficial in terms of uh, giving everybody the skills and the knowledge and, and all being part of that wider vision because you're not constantly bringing new people into that and that takes a lot of time and energy and resource yeah. and all the rest um, you know equally children children's behavior is exemplary around the school and so we're not investing huge amounts of time dealing with some of those issues because ultimately they're happy being here it's not perfect they're children they make some bad choices we have to deal with things sometimes but the vast majority of the time we're not and uh, you know all of those kinds of bits that those are the unseen bits that, that can suck and drain your time yeah. you get the well-being bit right you, you you know you have that at the heart of what you're doing that's really helpful then in terms of resolving a lot of those other issues and that gives you more time and energy to put towards yeah. ultimately the, the teaching and learning so, so moving that on then, your school is one of the schools where I have seen the greatest example of the well-being of, of pupils not being a tag on. You've taken it totally to the heart of your school and you've ripped up the rule book in terms of how you deliver these things. Tell us about Curriculum K, where it came from, what it's about and what it looks like in practice in your school. Yeah, so I think uh, we talked about um, right in the beginning, thinking about what we do and why, and, and yeah. we kind of had applied that across uh, a lot of different areas at the school. Um, and inevitably, ultimately, uh, we got to the curriculum um, and, and kind of really started to think about that. You know, why why is the curriculum the curriculum? Where does that hit? No, where, where is it on a tablet of stone that these subjects are the subjects that are required in order to prepare children of a primary age for the rest of their lives, the rest of their education. Um, you know, and, and, and then we start, as you start to peel back the layers on that, you know, you start to see all of these challenges that the children and young people were facing, physical health challenges, mental health challenges, you know, then you start to see, you know, in fact, there was the, the uh, Times Education report, wasn't it, last week saying just this, that, that children, young people are not prepared for uh, work and, and modern life. And all of these issues, and it was like, hang on a second. So we've kind of just accepted that this is what we teach our children. Yeah. And yet when we look at what the outcome of that is, it, it's not great. <laughs> you know, so... 
Why? 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 So hang on a second. Is there not a better way of doing this? Are we not able to do something in our schools that better prepares our children for the challenges that they face? And then you've just applied the logic to it. Well, hang on a second. Ultimately, this is 150 years old. You know, it hasn't changed fundamentally in that time. The world has changed out of all recognition. changed. Yeah. And 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 20 years from now, when children are going to be leaving education, our children are going to be leaving education. Well, I mean, it's going to have changed even more than it has in the last. Yeah. So the more you kind of got into it, the more you sort of began to think, oh, this is just not, this is just not right. There's, there, there's something here that doesn't, there's a mismatch. So that was sort of the starting point. We, we spent a lot of time, a couple of years, really researching it, looking at the thinking on education, some of the more, uh, you know, some of the more radical thinking, some of the, um, you know, but just any any kind of thinking around it, visiting other schools, yeah. talking to people, not just people in education, but businesses and, and people outside of the education world about what they saw reading as much as we possibly could. Um, to try and really come up with what we felt was going to um, be uh, the best possible start for these children uh, and give them the best possible opportunities that we could. Um, and that was kind of where Curriculum K came from. I mean, I think just a quick aside on that as well, what, without getting too heavily philosophical, but, but you know, we also kind of talked about uh, quite a bit about the purpose of education. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that is an ongoing debate um, and an ongoing conversation, you know, because the, the initial purpose of so the Victorian, when, when free education and the curriculum was introduced, it was there to uh, give uh, children or people the skills and knowledge to work in factories. Yeah. Um, and arguably 150 years on has it changed much <laughs> i mean you know really are we just is education simply about giving people the skills that they need to then go into work yeah and i think that's probably a longer debate and for another day but mm. i think our, debate our, i love to have those yeah, well, absolutely. And, and, and our feeling is very much yes of course that's important. Of course, it's important to prepare our children and young people for the world of work. They need to get a job. They need to earn money. That's how the world works. Um, but it is not the only reason. Um, happy lives, um, fulfilled lives, as we all know, are not solely about your job and the money that you earn. There are many facets to that. Yeah. And, and we very strongly feel that our purpose uh, as a primary school is, yes, about giving them some of the, the skills and knowledge they need to then go on to get their GCSEs, A-levels, degrees, whatever that might be. But actually, it's more than that. And, and it's about giving them that foundation for their lives. Yeah. Um, so that was where it came from. I think, um, you know, the, the, the key kind of bits, I guess, are the health curriculum, uh, and the communication curriculum. Uh, the health curriculum is split into emotional health and physical health um, and gives children a really sort of solid foundation, both in terms of understanding their emotions, uh, where those emotions come from, the science behind all of that, um, but also the skills to 
be able to deal with those emotions, to uh, have strategies, to have, you know, to be able to effectively work with that, to understand the importance of that wider context. So, you know, how engaging with other people, helping other people, um, you know, all of those kinds of bits feed into our emotional health. Um, physical health is what it says. It's very much about being physically healthy. So, uh, we do do sports skills and we do do a bit of, uh, you know, around different, but, uh, but the focus is very much on their physical health. So it's about fitness um, and it's about those basic skills. So it's, it's strength, it's agility, it's coordination. Um, you know, it's those bits, again, to give them that foundation. I think yeah. for us, yeah, the, the, back to what I said at the beginning, bottom line, unlimited time, unlimited resource, everything is important. Yeah. But is a child understanding the, the, the skills and the rules and the, and the framework around tennis more important than them being physically fit or having uh, being agile, being coordinated? I, I would argue it's not. I'm yeah. not suggesting those two things are in opposition. You could do one from the other, yeah. but it's about where your focus is. And our focus is on their physical health is on their physical ability not on them having that that deep understanding because again you know it was looking at what we could do as a primary school what we have the resource to do what we have the expertise to do what's right for our community and um, it, it also sorry. builds it, it builds on that concept that your job you know and I love the the physical literacy definitions your job is to inspire and motivate give them the basic skills if they then want to become tennis or show aptitude or talent, there is, you know, you've given them the building blocks to be able to go on and do those things. But actually, if you haven't got it right in terms of an inspiration, a love, a confidence, if, you, if they've written themselves off as I'm not sporty, I am sporty, then they're never going to go on to do those things. So, you know, what's what's in your skill set as a primary school is to give them those foundations and that sense of self and that motivation and understanding of why it's so important for them then to go and explore the amazing array of opportunities that they could then take on in the world. Yeah, of absolutely. Sport. And, and, and I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I'm an avid uh, sports fan and, and, you know, spent my life playing mm. sports. I grew up, so I know the, the, the value of that and how important that was to me. Um, you know, and I, I would love nothing more one of these days than to see a, a child who, who went to Kensington Primary, you know, there on the Olympic podium yeah. or, you know, collecting the, you know, the trophy at Wimbledon or, or you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I, I, that would just be the most amazing feeling. But but the reality is for 99 yeah. percent of our children, it, it's actually what's going to be more important is that uh, at 60, 70 years old, they can still get out of their house. They can still climb their stairs. They can still bend over and, and pick up what's on the floor because, you know, we're living longer and longer, aren't we? But, but we're living longer and longer in ill health. Yeah. And again, it's about if we can get those foundations right now, you know, the research literature, the, the evidence shows what a difference that can make. You know, children and young people who are physically fit and able at 9, 10, 11 years old, that that's that could be life changing yeah. you know even if they don't go on and and pursue that in any great way for you know in years to come but many will um just getting that base right now can still be impacting you know 20 30 40 50 years down the line um so yeah so that's very much that focus um and then communication um as the other part of that where 
it's really giving children though the skills and the confidence to be able to communicate in a variety of different scenarios in a, in a variety of different ways um, because you know, those skills are so fundamental and certainly talking to businesses um, you know that was for them the bit that was the missing piece of the jigsaw often children would come with the academic qualifications but weren't able to build those relationships, weren't able to communicate effectively uh, within teams, with each other. Yeah. Um, and again, so giving children that element was crucial. And for us, there's obviously the layer of, of English, of, of children not often having English as a first language. And so um, how important it was for them to be able to develop the confidence and skills in their own languages, in their home language, in their first languages. So it's not about forget your home language, learn English. Yeah. It's about giving them the skills and confidence in their own languages um, and then doing that with English as well because what an incredible skill set that is for our children, what an advantage that is for our children to be bilingual, to be multilingual. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a, a real focus as well. Amazing. So how do you fit all of that in, Ben? So, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot there and you dedicate a huge amount of time to it. How does that fit in everything else the school are expected to do? Tell me a little bit how you structure your day, your weeks. Yeah, so, well, um, I, the, the glib answer is we don't structure our days and weeks. Um, no, we do. But, um, but, you know, part of the whole approach, part of that well-being, I think, is about autonomy. Um, and, you know, you'll know that from, you know, from your role that, being given that freedom, being given that responsibility and that respect to make the decisions that you need to make within your job are an absolutely crucial, fundamental part of your well-being. Um, and, and so, you know, exactly the same for our teams. We give them that autonomy. Um, in terms of some of the structure, part of uh, the extension of that is that we give them the freedom and autonomy to make decisions about their timetabling, about what their children need and when they need it, um, and a lot of flexibility within that. So, you know, it's certainly not English and maths in the mornings and everything else in the afternoons. Um, you know, you're just as likely to see a fitness lesson first thing uh, or a communication lesson or an yeah. emotional health lesson as you are a, a maths or an English lesson. Um, primary school is hugely dominated by maths and English. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, those are crucial skills, just like every, just like some of the other bits we've been talking about. Um, but when we were looking at this, if we were going to truly make time, maths and English had to be part of that conversation, because by the time you add up all of those English lessons, maths lessons, reading lessons and all the rest, it's well over 50 percent, well over 50 percent of the school week. So we do teach fewer maths lessons. Uh, we do teach fewer English lessons, um, but our, our, you know, our belief and our growing evidence is that that by ensuring children have the key um, basics for learning, so that they are emotionally healthy, they are physically healthy, they are able to communicate effectively. Not only is that going to be impacting them further down the line, but it's going to make them more effective learners today and tomorrow. And so. Yes, so they might be doing less, mm -hmm. but no one's ever said that, you know, well, again, you have to have five hours of maths lessons every week. An hour of maths every day is the gold standard. That's the way we get children to learn maths. Well, that's not, that's, there's no evidence to support that. 
Um, and so by doing more of the, the foundations, by making sure that children are ready to learn, um, we are putting in place that so that when they're going into their lessons, they are retaining that information more effectively. They are learning more effectively. Mm. So we do less of some of that. Um, we work very hard to ensure that uh, the curriculum, so I was saying earlier, we had the curriculum and then we had all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we work very hard to ensure the good stuff is the curriculum. So there's a lot of freedom for teachers to develop the, the themes that they use, the way that they structure that learning. Um, but all of those kinds of, you know, celebration days, dress up days, you know, all of those kinds of extra educational visits, everything else, that's all part of the curriculum. Um, so when the children are going on their educational visits, as well as maybe it being about the, the history they're studying, you know, they're using that as an opportunity to think about the emotional health aspects of it, their safety on the tube on the way there, but that's part of our taught curriculum, their communication uh, as they're walking to the station, that's part of their communication curriculum. So it's all incorporated within that curriculum um, and that you know, frees up a lot of time yeah. for doing the rest of what we're trying to do. Yeah, and I, I definitely saw lots of that in action. I definitely saw the active maths happening in the playground where you're combining young people out there still covering um, their numeracy, but up, moving around, physically active in the space as well. What evidence have you got, Ben, um, whether whatever kind of evidence that might be, that, that that's what you're saying there and is definitely is my strong belief. If we invest more time in preparation, then young people are in a better place to learn. We don't have to spend as much time kind of tethering them down in the classroom. You must go over all of this content if we get that balance of let's get you in the right place to learn and then the learning you do is a much higher quality, the retention of that knowledge and information is of a much higher standard and you really start to immerse yourself and believe in it. What, what, how does that play out for students? What have you seen since you've been doing this approach at Kensington? What difference has it made to young people, both in being well-rounded young people prepared for the world, but also in their academics? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, th there's all of the what we see every day and, and, and I think that gets too quickly pushed to one side um and, and I, you know i think that's uh, i think actually that's something that's really important we're here every day uh we know these children better than anybody um and you know that in itself is is a crucial part of this and and we can see we can see the way they've grown in confidence, the, how engaged they are in their learning. Um, you know, we can see how, how, you know, how much they're retaining of their learning compared to a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Um, you know, all of the external um, validation, uh, challenge, accreditation that we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, we have had people um, from across you know so many different organizations so many different bodies whose job it is to go into schools to ask those difficult questions to understand what's going on in the school uh you know coming away from it saying what they said about us um and, and most recently Ofsted coming in and and asking those questions and and saying you know that that what we are doing um prepares children for their futures more successfully than the national curriculum does um, you know, so there, there's all of that side of it as well. Um, you know, the, 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 there's 
data, isn't there? There's the, there's the numbers around that. I mean, our attendance in the autumn term just gone was 95 percent, um, you know, against, against the national average of, of under 90 percent. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe it's because children are so engaged in, in what they are doing and what they are learning and the, the impact of that. Um, you know, parent surveys, staff surveys, pupil surveys, uh, all of which show what impact this has had. Um, of course, all of this has been done, a lot of this has been done, a lot of the rollout of this has been done during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, uh, you know, not that it's about SATS results and all of that, but, but you know, clearly that is a measure that we use. Um, you know, that evidence we don't have at this point, but, I, but I'm convinced that as time goes on and, and, you know, if we are unable, which will be a challenge to unpick the impact of COVID on, on, on results, on phonics scores, on, uh, on SATS results um, from everything else, that we'll be able to truly show that. But we're also tracking our children up in secondary school. Um, and and we're gathering more and more data about how they have been able to succeed at secondary school, how they've been able to deal with that transition, um, how they've been able to deal with the challenges of, of moving into secondary school um, by compared to uh, previous cohorts, compared to their peers, as a result of the work that we've been doing with them. Well, it's amazing that you can achieve the the kind of, I guess, holy grail of well-being and success for your students. But it's the path less well-trodden. It definitely is something I know when I've spoke to a lot of head teachers, they say it's a leap of faith. It takes a lot of bravery. What's given you that um, that bravery, that courage of your convictions to make that radical move of throwing out the rule book and doing something a little bit different at Kensington what got you there um I think you know whenever we you know we're coming back to that same question aren't we that, that thinking about what we do and why I think you know whenever we've gone down that path uh, and, and made a decision about doing something differently it was always on that basis of um you know well you know, we the, looking at it and genuinely thinking, what are we going? You know, what are we going to lose? What if if we do this or if we don't do this? What could we possibly lose? So, um, we we don't really do we we don't formally monitor um, teaching and learning. We don't do lesson observations. We don't do uh, formal book scrutinies, planning scrutinies. Um, you know, any of that. And ultimately, the conversation went. What are we getting? You know, so the conversation about observations, I think, is probably a done conversation in the vast majority of schools. I know less than observations still happen. But that was the, you know, and that's a well-trodden conversation. You know, you go in, you see a performance. Some people are good at it, some aren't. It doesn't really tell you an awful lot about what's going on in that classroom over time. But again, as we looked at that across everything, so what was this really giving us? You know, when we're, when we're looking at that data, when we're looking at that planning, ultimately the conversation was always, well, yes, but. You know, well, this, this class had five new children join, four of whom were new from abroad and didn't speak, speak any English. So, yeah, of course, the, the, the percentage of children who are expected for reading is lower than it was a year ago, but that doesn't mean that the quality of teaching and learning isn't what it should be. 
it's just a reflection of that cohort and how that cohort has changed. And actually, as we began to unpick all of that, we realised that, you know, us being around the school, us being in classrooms, talking to children, talking to teachers, all the rest of it, we, we knew, we knew where teaching learning wasn't where it should be. We didn't need to yeah. have a have a have a staff uh, have an SLT meeting where we sat down and laid all the books out and went through them and looked at you know we knew yeah. so why were we doing that? It didn't make any sense. So there, was there a better way? You know, and the same with the curriculum. I've talked to you a little bit about that journey. It was like, well, wasn't there a better way? You know, there, is there not a better way? Of doing, what are we going to lose? Well, I don't even going to lose anything if we don't do this. So what? And if we can do, we do this. So, you know, it was almost it almost becomes common sense when you when you take that time to really look at it. It just becomes a common sense bit. I think you know we've also backed that up with a lot of research. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a huge amount of research and evidence out there, particularly around well-being. Uh, Daniel Pink's Drive has was been a bit of a bible for us over the years. Um, and you know, but that that again, that idea about well, what is the best way to get the best out of everyone? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, thinking about that from our own perspective, how do people get the best out of us? Yeah. Um, but also then looking at the, the evidence behind that. Um, you know, and, and for us, ultimately, once we did all of that, it wasn't a leap of faith. It wasn't about yeah. being brave. It was just, it was, it was just the logical decision to make. You know, if anything, the brave decision was to bury our heads in the sand and say, no, this isn't the way to go. Um, and I think it is. It's just it's just breaking out of that and saying, you know, well, no, we're going to we're going to say we do believe in this. And this is you know, this is what we stand for. This is what's important for us. We know that this is what's right for our children. We know what this is what's right for our team. We know this is what's right for our community. And, and, you know, we're willing to do what it takes to, to make that a reality. Um, you know, and I, I, think, I think school leaders make far braver decisions than that. I know they do every day. They make incredibly brave decisions. Um, you know, it's finding the time and the resource, I think, is, yeah. is, is, a, is a challenge. But again, investing in that is going to make your you know your your life your journey whatever you're trying to achieve that much easier further down the line yeah and and Kensington is a well school it's if whenever I think in my mind this journey we're on to try and bring well schools to life I think of Kensington um you you live it and breathe it one of the things when we were researching and I know you're involved in that well schools and why what needed to change a lot of um a lot of the kind of feedback we got back was, well, actually, we it's not about us changing. We need things like Ofsted to change. You've proved your school have got outstanding at Ofsted recently, for the second time, as we've talked about. So you've proved that you can do this with the support of Ofsted, with Ofsted coming in saying, this is good practice. This is what you're doing is outstanding. How did that all play out for you? And how did you find that experience? And how did Ofsted respond to the things that you do as a school? Um. I mean, I thought the, the process was really positive. I think, um, you know, they, they could see what we were doing. They could see what we were, you know, why we were doing, why we'd made the choices we had. I mean, you know, I think hopefully as I've, it's, it's always hard to communicate eight years of work in, in yeah. kind of an hour's conversation. Yeah. But 
but you know hopefully as I've communicated today we, there, there's very little we do without thinking about that very carefully and very deeply um, and so you know nothing's really done on a whim and, and, and so we were able to to communicate that really clearly and you know Ofsted could see it I don't know the, the the lead inspector and and you know and the additional inspector who came to visit us over those two days could see it yeah would that have played out exactly the same with every single Ofsted inspector in the country I'd like to think so but yeah. hand on heart I don't know and and I think that's part of the challenge of the system but it is yeah, but but equally, it's like all these things. Do I have a better solution to that at the moment? I'm not convinced that I necessarily do. Education is incredibly complex. Yeah, the education system is incredibly complex. I genuinely believe there needs to be some level of challenge of accountability because what we do is so incredibly important. Yeah. Um, there are other models. Maybe some of those would work better. But I'm telling you now, there'd be pros and cons to what we have yeah. now yeah um so yeah i think you know i think as long as you've really thought about what you're doing as long as you're really clear on why you've made the decisions you've made yeah you know that's the bit that you know what we talked about as a team was the fact is you've got to go home every day and look yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. and you've got to say you know you, whether it's every day at the end of each year or at the end of your career when you retire you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I honestly believe I did everything I could for those children, my team, the community, whatever it might be. That's what's really important. If you genuinely believe you're doing everything you can, that's the bit that's important. And you've just got to have some faith that Ofsted can't see it. Ofsted can see it. (laughs) Freud in slip. That Ofsted can see that that's what you are doing and that's what you are trying to do. And you've got to take that, those conversations, you've got to take that challenge and you've got to use that to feed into what it is you're trying to do as a school. Um, you know, I, Ofsted could see what we were trying to do and I, I wouldn't have thought any differently. If they had, if they'd have asked something different, if they'd have challenged, we'd have thought about that. You know, we'd have been reflective about that. Ultimately, if they'd have said something we fundamentally disagreed with, we'd have challenged that. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes down to that you've got such a strong moral purpose, such a strong why. You've got that that reason. You, you, it, it's not things on win. There's no tick box exercise here. There's not just stick all these things in and we hope we'll make a difference. This is well thought through. This is well planned. This is researched. And like I said before this is in everyone this is a, a strong belief as a community that you're doing the right thing for the young people in front of you so yeah well, we would I, I'd like to think we would never we don't ever do something that we don't understand why we're doing it yeah that we don't agree with doing it that we are just doing it for the sake of doing it um you know equally we listen really carefully to people who are experts and Ofsted are experts and the Department for Education are experts and the Youth Sport Trust are experts and you know we, we, we try to engage with as many people as possible because we don't have all the answers and we don't know it all we do know our community really well but we, we try to draw on as much as we can you know that's why well schools is such a 
a fantastic movement and such a fantastic vehicle because there's you know I've learned so much by listening to everybody who is involved in that um, and that's been hugely beneficial to us um, but ultimately you know having looked at all of that we make the decisions that we know we believe are right and we put in place whatever we can to try to measure that and we're reflective about that you know curriculum k we are we have more and more evidence every day that what we are doing is the best choice for our children but we're, we're just starting a whole review of the curriculum at this point and and if that review shows us that some of the decisions we've made aren't benefiting our children well we we, we won't be too proud to change them we will change them yeah if at some point we felt that our approaches around well-being weren't achieving what we wanted to achieve we we change it but all of the evidence we've got you know both internally and externally is that what we are doing is has transformed the school positively in, in almost every aspect that you can measure in in whatever way you can measure it and so well you know like I say, at that point, it doesn't become brave. It just becomes... Yeah. yeah, who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find out a little bit more about Kensington, Ben? I know, I believe you've got a social media platform people can follow for Kensington. Yeah, so um, we, we tweet at, uh, at Kensington SCH um, and I tweet at, at Mr. Lev, M-R-L-E-V. Um, we've got our school website which has got huge amounts of information um, an awful lot of what we've done um, around well-being is on the well schools platform and we've shared via that so that's a great um, resource a great place for people to go and find out more about sort of some of the specific uh, well-being elements of our work um, and and you know we again part of the being reflective part of that not being inward looking we've always uh, loved people visiting the school um, and, and looking around and asking some of those difficult questions because that gives us the chance to yeah. to think deeply about what we're doing um, hopefully very soon uh, we'll be able to start uh, welcoming people into the school again and uh, you know so people can are more than welcome to get in touch and uh, arrange to come and have a look around and have a chat about us in more detail Great. And having visited myself, it is well worth the trip to go and have a look around. So my parting um, question for you is you have been the driving force behind World Schools. You have, as I said at the start, been a, a real inspiration, a lot of the work and a lot of things you do live and, and play out through World Schools. What's your hope for World Schools? What do you want it to change? What do you want to look back at World Schools in five, ten years time and say we've changed and achieved? Yeah, I think you know, when... When we started on this path, it was it was about the school, and and over time that's kind of expanded as we've kind of shown that what we're doing works. Um, it's then been about well, okay, how do we change that conversation? You know, and I think that there's lots of bits of well-being I've been involved in. I was part of the DfE's expert advisory group on well-being and, and developed the education staff well-being charter. For me, Well Schools has the potential more than anything that I've done to really change that conversation, to, to, to really empower people, to inspire them 
um, to, to make those changes, you know, in a way that allows them to achieve what they want for their children, for their team, for their schools, for their communities. And that has well-being at the heart, because I think that by doing that, you know, not only is that the best way to achieve all of those outcomes, but it also will fundamentally change people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, like everyone, I am so saddened to look at some of the statistics around education, around staff, around children's mental health. You know, the, the, there are lots of things that are not right and I'm not for a second suggesting that, that well-being and, and well schools is the panacea to all of the ills of society. But if we put well-being at the heart of our schools, you know, if we just made sure that on a, on a Sunday night, rather than having that knot in the stomach, our children and our teams were looking forward to the alarm going off on Monday morning, couldn't wait to get into it, couldn't wait to to go out and have another week, have another day, have another term, you know, that that would change the world. You know, it really would. I don't think I'm overstating it. Um, And I do think that, well, schools can be part of that and can change that conversation and can empower people to make those choices. That is within our power. Funding for schools, assessment exams Ofsted we can influence those things but they're not within our power but we can make those decisions in our schools and if we all do that the world's going to be a very different place in five ten years time Um, and the long-term impact of that as those children go on to become the next generation of you know of young people of adults and so on yeah it it could be it could be huge and and I think if we all came together on that we all made that commitment. Uh, we could make the world a much, much better place. And, and wouldn't that be an incredible legacy? Yeah, I- incredible. And that's what we often say. Together, we are the greatest stakeholders in young people's education. And together, we can to, to create that. It's in our gift and in our power. And with you as what part of the driving force for that, then I'm sure we will managed to transform the lives for many young people so thank you for sharing with us today thank you for letting us through the doors of Kensington and sharing your amazing journey your school is incredible it's well worth a visit for anyone as I've said before and to follow on social media it will be an education and it will transform your view as it has for me so thank you for sharing with us today I look forward to carrying on working with you in the future and all the very best of luck for you and all your students and staff at Kensington thank you very much Okay, I say it every week and I'll probably keep saying it every week. Another amazing conversation, another amazing interview with a quite an inspiring um, head teacher, but just thought again, an inspiring human being and in what Ben's doing in his school. And there, there was a, there was loads of stuff that jumped out at me, but one of the things that hit me was 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 the ethos of Kensington Primary and when Ben talked about the school being a, a, um, a place where everyone loves to be. That that just resonated with me so much because professionally, I want every I want every young person to go to a school where they love to be. Personally, I want my own kids to go to a school where they yeah. love to be, and it just really I, I think it just gelled really well with the well schools ethos and culture itself.
yeah. And if you think how many hours a young person would spend in school, and I know his concept of everyone loves to be isn't just children, it's about the staff as well. It's a huge amount of investment of your time and energy and childhood spent within the the many walls of Kensington Primary School. So, you know, giving young people that solid, found that positive experience, that place that they look forward to being in. You know, Ben's articulation of my job is to get them, inspire them, give them a hunger and a thirst. And, you know, he describes them jumping out of bed every morning thinking, yes, I'm going into that nurturing, supportive environment that cares about me and puts me first. I'm doing the right thing for me. I'm, I'm using adult language to describe the way a young person feels there. But, you know, that's the picture picture in my mind, staff that want to come into school, not that sense of dread. Um, I can't think of a better ethos because, you know, what's the toxic environment where the teachers dread coming in and the young people do everything they can to not be there? That doesn't sound like a conducive environment for learning and inspiring a future generation to me. So what a great value and ethos to have at the centre of your school. And it links back perfectly again to that growing together. And, you know, it was amazing to hear how Ben's making that come to life. And he's got a, they've all got a very clear why. And I think it was incredible as well that this hasn't just happened over the last 12 months, 18 months even. You know, Ben talked about the sustained almost research and development around around between eight and nine years to develop the curriculum that they've got. And I love the, I love the point that he made when he talked about the, the curriculum, K and how they how they built it and shaped it and how they all done it together. But how, when he talks about the good stuff is the curriculum and how many times do we see the good stuff being squeezed out? And Ben talked about it quite openly. The curriculum was getting so tight that the good stuff that young people become prepared and, 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 and learn best that was getting squeezed out, but they flipped that and made it the actual, the actual curriculum. Yeah. Cause we could look at all of this and think, do you know what, what we're dealing with is, head teachers, teachers that are on their knee, they're dealing with so much. I think sometimes we can look at these things as additionality. We're asking for more, we're asking them to be everything to everyone. And what I love about the Kensington narrative is that it's not asking for more, that they've reimagined the way that they deliver their everyday. They've reimagined how they maximise and use their time within a structured day. This isn't something they're doing as a, as a once a day event that it's not something they're doing tagged onto the end of school day it's not something they're asking every break and lunchtime to be dedicated to this is about you know what are we doing at 9am on a Monday morning is this stuff this is embedded in and part of our learning and we're investing as much in ensuring young people are prepared to learn we're investing in ensuring that when we do give them that knowledge that they're in an amazing position to take that knowledge on to use that knowledge and to retain that knowledge rather than using all of our time to impart that knowledge and work through the traditional curriculum. You know, when you look at Ben's school, when you go in and see how much time, this isn't an hour a week. This is fundamental curriculum that's based around communication, physical and mental health. There is, you know, it's the living and breathing of what we're saying, putting it at the heart, not doing it as an additionality. This isn't asking more of teachers. It's asking to them to look at a different way of achieving the same outcome and his school approving it works they're outstanding not that Ofsted ratings are the be all and end all for everything but it's a stamp of approval isn't it? it's that you know that's how we 
look at schools. So you've got Ofsted saying, you know what, they've ripped the rule books up. They've done something very different there. They have dedicated huge amounts of time to communication skills with their young people. And why wouldn't they? Their young people's challenges are around the way they communicate. You know, when he talks about the amount of young people with English as additional language, they're right to invest in the things that they see before them, that the experiences of their young people rather than thinking here's the set curriculum here's the content we've got to get through by hook or crook we're going to get we're going to get through it all without thinking about what the needs of the young people in front of me and that's why I love the approach that they've taken because I think it is brave it is different and it's exactly what we're saying around world schools and again it was you know his offer and his invite to for people to go and connect with him and and learn from them I'd certainly if I was listening to this podcast now and I was in the school I'd certainly be taking Ben up on that offer. Um, it's going to be inundated now. tours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll have a thousand teachers yeah. to his uh, to his school. But right. again, it's, it's definitely worth the trip. I did it myself. You know, um, really brought to life for me. This isn't something. This isn't a paper exercise. This isn't something they've written down and put on their website. It's not something that they've they talk about but don't live out. They live and breathe it. They're working it. They're doing it. And they're proving that it works. Yeah, and again, this is what the whole this is what the whole ethos of of what well schools is about. It's not about a, a one size fits all, but it's about learning together, growing together, and, and learning from people who are doing it, and learning from people. Yeah. You know, when Ben talks about being brave and being courageous, it is it, it is it is quite daunting and it can't be quite scary. But I think going into twenty twenty two, we've been through what we've been through. We're seeing the issues that are that are facing young people and staff as well, quite mm-hmm. rightly, and staff. So I think that there's a real opportunity in this year to to really come together and to to create that movement and to unite that movement around well schools. But you know, you hear Ben say, I've just described it as brave, but you hear Ben saying that he didn't feel it was particularly brave, it was just common sense. And again, it comes back to that why, isn't it? Because he's understanding that the barriers that his young people face and he's made positive action to change that. It doesn't feel as brave anymore. It just feels like doing the right thing. And when we're doing the right thing, it can sometimes be brave, but probably it feels like a, a calling, a moral purpose, rather than a something radical. You're just trying to try and push the boundaries. No, absolutely, Kate. Well, we know that there was a passionate plea before to come and join us and to, to come and support us. And as you said, yeah. we don't just want people to to look in. We want people to step in and, and, and help us grow this movement. So... Thanks, Kay, for another great episode. And all I'll say is, please tune in next week because we've got another fantastic guest. A little bit different, but really, really, really powerful story yeah. next week coming down the line. So, thanks, Kay. Thanks, Anne. See you soon. Thanks for listening, and we hope you found this episode useful. We'd like to thank our partners, Hooper Foundation and the Youth Sport Trust, who have been with us since the start of this journey and have some really powerful and practical ways to support an improved culture of well-being in your school. You can find out more at www.booperfoundation.org or at Booper Foundation over on Twitter. Also, www.youthsporttrust.org or at youthsporttrust.org over on Twitter. If you'd like to find out more about our special guest this week, you can visit Kensington 
www.newham.sch.uk or follow at Mr. Lev over on Twitter. Finally, if you would like to register completely free as a Welsh school and join the movement for change, then head to www.well-school.org and sign up today. You can also find us at Welsh Schools over on Twitter.